Welcome to the Gateway Scottsdale audio podcast. Thanks for joining us for this week's message. We pray God speaks to you through this message and through his word today. For more information about our church, please visit us at www.gatewayscottsdale.tv. Now, let's tune in for this week's message. All right, if you've got a Bible, I want you to turn to three places if you can swing it, okay? Three places. It's the new year, so I'm, I'm just, every week, I'm going to have you turn to one extra scripture. <laughs> so by the end of the year, you're going to have your fingers, all of your fingers and all of your toes in different passages. That's just how we're going to do it this year. Ephesians chapter 4, you can open up there. Then put a marker in John chapter 2. And then put a piece of paper, if your Bible has a second marker, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Ephesians chapter 4, John 2, and 1 Corinthians 12. We're continuing our series that we started last weekend titled, Without You. And what we're talking about is what the body of Christ looks like without you. Last week we talked about being present in church and I know for some that was quite a festive way to start off the new year. If you weren't here last week, go back and listen to the message. Uh, this weekend, we're, this is kind of a part two. This is, I, I put this message in the category of big boy, big girl stuff. And uh, it's because, you know, I know a lot of people at the beginning of a new year when they come into church, they're hoping for an inspirational message and many are hoping for an encouraging message. Uh, and all of that is great. It's, it's wonderful to be inspired. It's wonderful to be encouraged. But we also need to make sure we're dispensing the truth at all times. And sometimes the truth is a little bit difficult to swallow. But it's always beneficial. Always beneficial to digest the truth and meditate upon it. And so as we talk about what we're talking about today, and the title of the message is, Without You, We Don't Work As Well. Without You... The church doesn't work as well. And I want you to see that God created the body of Christ to need you. Not need you in a desperate way, but need you in an anointed way. God has, and you're going to see it in scripture, God has gifted you to do some things that no one else can do. And he has brought you into a family called the body of Christ. And there is no better place to use your gift than in the body of Christ. No matter how much you use your gifts outside of the body, as a member of the family of God, it is always wise to use our gifts inside of the house just as well. Now, I'm gonna read you a couple of passages at the beginning of this message. And, and before I read them to you, let me just kind of calibrate your thinking because when I moved here uh, about four and a half years ago, and met with as many pastors as I could, I started to see that there was a theme and it, it was a little bit disconcerting to me. And the theme was, uh, you know, a lot of people saying, hey, this isn't the Bible Belt. It's not like what you're used to. People don't go to church the way they do in the Bible Belt. People don't read the Bible the way they do in the Bible Belt. They don't want you to talk about certain things the way that's okay in the Bible Belt. So I heard all kinds of different things, but here was kind of the theme. Just be glad they show up. Just be glad they show up. Now, some of you come to church with that mentality. Just be glad I'm here. Let me just say something. You're not saying that to me. You're saying that to the Lord. If in your heart you come to church and you say, just be glad I'm here, 
That's not something you say to the staff. You say that unto the Lord. Just be glad I'm here. Well, just if you're ever wondering, I think the Lord feels the same way that I do about that phrase. I'm never going to agree with that phrase. I'm never going to agree with, well, just be glad they show up. Here's why. Because if I were trying to build a crowd, then I would just be glad when you show up. But because we're trying to build a kingdom, showing up isn't ever going to be enough. So I will only get excited when the church acts like the church. And here's what the church was meant to be. A family where everybody pitches in. Everybody does their part. Now, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 27 says to us as believers, all of you together are Christ's body, and each of you is a part of it. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 says, now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and to build up the church. The body of Christ. Now, many translations say uh, to equip the people to do the work of the church. Now, the first verse that we read says, hey, as believers, we are all a member, uh, members of the body of Christ. We are all part of this family. But what does that look like? What does it mean to be a part of the body of Christ? Not just a Christian, but what does it look like to be a member of the body of Christ? Well, Ephesians 4 helps us understand that. Ephesians 2.10 really goes even further and says, listen, because there's a lot of conversation about, well, we're saved not by good works. And that's very true. We are saved not by our good works, but by the work that Jesus Christ did on the cross. But listen to what Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 says. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. We were not saved because of good works. We were saved unto good works. All of us, as believers in Jesus, if you have put your faith and trust in God and accepted his son and made him Lord and Savior of your life, you're a member of his family. And as a member of the family, you need to remember you have been set apart to do some really incredible things, to expand the boundaries of God's kingdom. Now, the big question, though, is, well, if I was made for good works, and as a part of the body of Christ, Ephesians 4 says that it's my responsibility as a believer to do the work of the church. It's not my job as a senior pastor to do the work of the church. It's my job as a believer to do the work of the church. Now, if that's the case, then the million-dollar question is this. What happens if I choose not to? What happens if I make the personal decision to be merely an attender, to be someone who simply shows up and gets to experience the benefits of family but never contributes to the family? Well, I'm going to give you several answers to that question. Here's the first one. The body has to compensate. When you choose not to be a fully functioning member of the body of Christ, 
the rest of the body has to compensate. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 16 says, He, God, makes the whole body fit together perfectly as each part does its own special work. It helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. As each part does its own special work. I wonder how many people see the work of the church. I wonder how we see serving in the local church. How do you see it? If you were to be honest before the Lord, do you see it as an obligation? Do you see it as a special work? As each part does its own special work, the rest of the family benefits. Now, let me say this. I don't know if you've ever thought about this before, but this is something Rick Warren started saying uh, several years ago, and I absolutely love it. I heard him say once, a hundred years from now, if the earth is still in existence, chances are Microsoft will not be. A hundred years from now, if the earth is still in existence, Apple well, probably will be. <laughs> you can see which side of the log I fall off on. <laughs> and everybody's still holding on to an Android is cursing on the inside. That's all right. In 100 years, there will be no such thing as Androids. 100 years from now, if the earth is still in existence, I assure you of this, the church will be too. Go back and look at history. Companies that were thriving decades ago are no longer even in existence, but it is the body of Christ that continues on and will continue on until Christ's return. It's the greatest work on the earth, and it must be done. But if we make the personal decision not to be a part of that incredible work, let me show you in Scripture what it looks like when we don't. Romans chapter 12, starting in verse three. Because of the privilege and authority God has given me, I give each of you this warning. Don't think you are better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourselves by the faith God has given us. Just as our bodies have many parts and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body, and we all belong to each other. In his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. One of my biggest pet peeves in the church is when someone who doesn't serve in the house of the Lord gripes about someone who does. It wears me out. To me, it's one of the most offensive things. For someone who doesn't serve in the family, they've made a personal decision not to be a fully functioning member of the family of God. When they complain about someone who is laying down their lives to be a fully functioning member. I want you to think about this for a moment. Because I've had plenty of people come to me and say, Pastor, have you noticed the way that so-and-so greets at the door? 
I mean, I don't, I don't know if that's how you want people to be greeted at the door. I, pastor, and they try and make it sound spiritual. I just don't think that's his gift. Okay. Now, I've never said this before, but I've wanted to in my heart. I totally agree with you. It's not his gift. But you know what the problem is? Someone else that has that gift, and it's probably you since you noticed. (laughs) Somebody else who has that gift made a personal decision not to use it. And so that faithful man who is gifted in this area made a decision when he looked over at that door and said, no one is there. There's a hole in the house. And while that's not my gift, I can't stay here because this work is too important to have holes. So I am going to move out of my gifting and to that door. And I'm going to greet everybody to the best of my ability. And one person has the guts to say, I don't know if that's their gift. You're right. That's their gift. But they've chosen to be faithful because somebody else chose not to use their gift. It's a commendable act. The work must continue. The church cannot say, let's wait until everybody does their part. The work is too important to wait. We must do it. And it must be done now. And the work cannot stop. Now, I want to I talk to the parents for a moment. And I, I want to kind of illustrate Uh, the way I think the church looks in this day and time. What if your child came home from school one day and said, Mom, I've made a decision. Uh, I I play in four different sports on four different teams, and I have decided that in all of my games from now on, I am going to only use one of my legs. I am going to tie my strong hand behind my back, and I have made the personal decision to only open one eye in the midst of all competition. And you think it's a joke. So you go to the first game the next day, and sure enough, your child is in the middle of a soccer field, hopping on one leg, with one arm tied behind their back and one eye closed. Now, we kind of chuckle about that. But I wonder if God peers over the balcony of heaven looking at his bride, the body of Christ, and ever has the thought, why is she doing that to herself? Why doesn't she put her other leg down? Why doesn't she pull her strong arm from behind her back? Why doesn't she open both eyes? Listen, you'll never hear me be pessimistic about the future of the church, ever. I will always be optimistic about the future of the church, and here's why. Look what she's been able to do on one leg with one arm tied behind her back and one eye closed. Can you imagine when she makes the decision to put her other foot down, bring her strong hand out, and open the other eye? I'll tell you what it's going to look like. 
the violent taking hold of the kingdom by force, using every one of its parts. But here's the hard part. If every part doesn't play its part, the body just looks like this. What happens when I don't serve? The body has to compensate. Here's point number two. What happens when I don't serve in the house of the Lord? You miss out on some of the best miracles. Whoa, 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 pastor. Are you threatening me? Are you telling me that if I don't serve in the house of the Lord, whether this is my church home or somewhere else, are you telling me that I'm not going to get to see any miracles? That's not what I said. I said you're going to miss out on some of the best miracles. Well, I don't think you have the right to say that. Okay, I didn't say it. The Bible says it. John chapter 2. Flip over to John chapter 2. And let me ask you this question. This was the first miracle Jesus ever performed. Here's the question. Who got to see it? Okay, just remember that question. Don't answer it right now. The very first miracle Jesus ever performed. Who got to see it? Let's read it. John chapter 2, starting in verse 1. The next day, there was a wedding celebration in the village of Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples were also invited to the celebration. The wine supply ran out during the festivities, so Jesus' mother told them, They have no more wine. Dear woman, that's not our problem, Jesus replied. My time has not yet come. But his mother, not listening to her son, said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Standing nearby were six stone water jars used for Jewish ceremonial washing. Each could hold 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus told the servants, fill the jars with water. When the jars had been filled, he said, now dip some out and take it to the master of ceremonies. So the servants followed his instructions. When the master of ceremonies tasted the water that was now wine, not knowing where it had come from, and I love the way the NLT puts this in parenthesis, though, of course, the servants knew, he called the bridegroom over. A host always serves the best wine first, he said. Then when everyone has had a lot to drink, he brings out the less expensive wine. But you, you have kept the best until now. This miraculous sign at Cana in Galilee was the first time Jesus revealed his glory. And his disciples believed in him. The first miracle Jesus performs. And who was in the front row to see it? Just making sure. It wasn't the the host of the party. It was not the most respected guests at the party. It wasn't any of the guests. The only people who saw Jesus do his first miracle were his family and his servants. Years ago, probably at least 12 years ago, probably closer to 14, when I was working on staff at Gateway in Dallas, if I wasn't serving, uh, doing oversight the way Pastor Brad does most weekends, uh, at the end of every service, I would go forward and do altar ministry and pray with people. 
And I was telling my wife, Holly, I was saying, babe, why don't you come up and pray with me? She, you have to understand, used to get very nervous praying in front of people. When she was a high school volleyball coach, she would have me come before games and pray for the team. And she would also have me sit up in the stands and tell her when to call timeouts. But I was like an illegal assistant coach up in the stands. But she'd have me come pray before games because she was so nervous that she would say something wrong. That she just, she knew, well, you just do it. So a couple years later, I was telling her, hey, babe, why don't you and I pray together with people? We're unstoppable together. Let's, let's pray with people together. Babe, I'm not as good at it as you. I'm afraid I'm going to say something that will be wrong, and, and I don't want to be guilty of heresy, and it's not even my intention. And, and I, babe, it just makes me nervous. I, I'll go up with you, but you just pray. So okay, that's fine. We'll start there. And so we would go forward and pray with people. And probably the third or fourth time we did, a couple came forward, and the woman, uh, they were probably in their early 30s, the woman, you could tell, uh, was feeling very burdened about something. And they walk up to us, and I say, how can we pray for you? And, and she says, uh, we've been trying to get pregnant for almost a decade now. And we got pregnant, and she starts crying. She said, we got pregnant, but we just miscarried this past week. And now, when she says that word, she breaks, and she's sobbing. And I'm standing there doing what is typically my rhythm in, in many moments like this. I am begging the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, tell me what to say. I don't want to just talk. Just tell me what to do. Tell me what to say. While I am in my heart begging the Holy Spirit, my wife, my sweet, quiet wife, bursts into tears and wraps her arms around this woman. Without saying one word, the two of them stood there holding each other for about two minutes. And I'm standing there now going, I don't even know if I need to be here right now. <laughs> it lasted for so long, the husband even put his arms around both of them. And he's hugging on them. Now I'm thinking, well, am I supposed to too? <laughs> I thought, well, okay. I don't know what to say. Nothing's being said. My wife is weeping with these people. And then she begins praying for them. Tears streaming down her face. And I'm convinced to this day they could hardly hear the words coming out of her mouth. They were crying so hard. Several years later, I was up doing altar ministry after a service. And that couple came forward. And they, they didn't need prayer. They wanted to talk. And they said, we don't know if you remember us, but we came forward to pray with your wife. <laughs> it's like they didn't remember I was there. <laughs> and we had just miscarried. And I said, oh, yes, I 100%. That was an amazing moment in our lives. She said, it was a turning point in our lives. She said, would you please tell your wife that when we came forward for prayer, we didn't need someone to fix us. We didn't need someone to tell us it was going to be okay. 
We just needed to be able to hurt and for someone to hold us while we hurt. That day, I saw a miracle happen in my wife. You see, the miracle didn't just happen in that couple. They, they, that day when they were telling me, they had just had a baby, and the, the, their story was amazing. God was in every part of it. It was absolutely miraculous. That day, when Holly prayed for them, not only did I see God do something miraculous in that couple's heart, doing a work of healing that only the Holy Spirit could do. I saw a miracle happen in my wife's heart. Listen, some of the best miracles you will ever, ever see will happen in the house of God when you step out in faith, outside of your comfort zone, into the faith zone, and allow God to use the gift he's given you to minister to someone else. Some of the best miracles you'll ever see happen at the front of this room, happen at the front of this building, happen in children's rooms all over this building, happen in the lobby, happen at clubs during the week, happen on street corners. Miracles happen when we yield ourselves to God and allow God to use us as the gifts he created us to be. But when I don't serve the house of the Lord, I miss out on some of the best miracles in others' lives and in mine. That leads us to point number three. When I don't serve, others don't get to open his gift. Others don't get to open his gift. Now, I don't know if you've ever done this before. Uh, if you've ever gone into your kitchen and said, I'm going to see if I can create a dish without a recipe using only what's in the kitchen right now. Anybody ever played that game before? Okay. Several years ago, we were playing this game over Christmas break with the kids. And, and so uh, I go in and I, I start, you know, just trying to think, okay, what, what, do, what, do, what do we have here? And we have a bunch of random stuff. And okay, I got it. We got graham crackers. Okay, I crush up the graham crackers and put them in the bottom, bottom of a pie uh, tray. And, and then on top of the crushed graham crackers, I melted one of my wife's favorite things on planet Earth, Hershey's chocolate bars, and, and put a coating about that thick on top of the crushed graham crackers. And then on top of that, I took God's favorite food, bluebell ice cream, milk chocolate flavored, about that thick, and covered the pie. And then on top of that, I, put, uh, I melted marshmallows and put it in the freezer. <laughs> Someone's having a godly moment right now. <laughs> hey, anytime you say the words bluebell in church, the angels sing and the people rejoice. <laughs> I put it in the freezer and the marshmallow got chewy like a candy bar and, and I, I put some hot fudge on top and, and some whipped cream, the healthiest dessert on planet earth. My kids, this became the most famous dish in our home and it was an accident. I was just throwing a bunch of stuff together. Well, I say all of that to say, I'm about to 
to read three different passages without explaining any of them. And what I feel like is I just, this week, I felt strongly the Lord putting these three passages together, but I had no idea what he was whipping up. So I'm going to read you the three passages, and in essence, I'm just piling them in a bowl. And then I want to walk them out with you, and I want you to see what God makes when he takes these three passages and puts them together. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7 says, A spiritual gift is given to each of us so we can help each other. To one person, the Spirit gives the ability to give wise advice. To another, the same Spirit gives a message of special knowledge. The same Spirit gives great faith to another. And to someone else, the one Spirit gives the gift of healing. He gives one person the power to perform miracles, and another the ability to prophesy. He gives someone else the ability to discern whether a message is from the Spirit of God or from another spirit. Still another person is given the ability to speak in unknown languages, while another is given the ability to interpret what is being said. It is the one and only Spirit who distributes these gifts. He alone decides which gift each person should have. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10 says, God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. In Psalm 127, verse 3, this is like the chocolate fudge right here. Children are a gift from the Lord. Let's throw all three of these passages into a bowl and let's see, because I was blown away this week at what God whipped up with three, these three passages sewn together. Children are a gift from the Lord. As parents, many of us read that literally and say, uh, yes, biological children are a gift from the Lord. Adopted children are a gift from the Lord. But I'd like to remind you that as believers in Jesus Christ, we are called children of God. All children are a gift from the Lord. Ephesians, uh, I mean, 1 Peter chapter 4 says that we were given gifts from God, from his great variety of gifts. We were given gifts individually so that we would use them. Not just have them, but use them. The first passage we read talks about some of the specific gifts that God gives to each of us. Now I want to paint you a picture. We just celebrated Christmas, and your home is probably similar to mine in that somewhere in your home you have a Christmas tree. And beneath that Christmas tree, you place wrapped gifts. Now, you may not be like our home in this. Many of you probably open your gifts on Christmas Eve or Christmas Day. In my home, we open gifts right after I buy them. Because <laughs> something you need to know about me, I cannot hold on to a gift. If I buy it for you, it, I, I may have found a deal two months before the day I was supposed to give it to you. You know when you're going to get it? Two months before I was supposed to give it to you. Because when I have a gift, I want you to open it. I cannot watch the gift sit beneath the tree for two months. So my wife figured this out years ago and said, babe, you have to start procrastinating when it comes to gift buying. You, you, you have to wait as long as you possibly can because we, no one wants to have Christmas the day after Thanksgiving, babe. 
I hate to watch wrapped gifts sit beneath the tree. But you know what many churches have become? Like that Christmas tree where many beautifully wrapped, individually named gifts sit beneath the tree and no one ever opens them. See, I desire our church to be like the tree where there is nothing but wrapping paper underneath the tree. If you've ever seen at the end of a service, people come forward to pray with some people at the front of this room. And I'm just using this as an example because many of you see what happens. People come forward and pray with someone at the front of this room at the end of every service and they've done it for the last four and a half years but let me help you see what you're actually seeing. God puts it on someone's heart to come forward and receive prayer. And what they don't know is they are walking towards a gift. And here's what happened. On that particular day, in that particular moment, the creator of the universe said, Sally's gonna come forward for prayer. Okay, I gotta find the perfect gift for Sally. Okay, here it is, here it is. Gonna come right here, and everyone else is gonna be busy except this person. This gift right here, and Sally's gonna come right over here, and Sally is going to open up a gift named John and Sarah. And John and Sarah are going to pray a prayer that no one else could pray. Sally's gonna open up one of my favorite gifts. And it's gonna alter the trajectory of her life. Listen to me closely. Every person in this room is a gift. And one of the most tragic things in the body of Christ is when God fills his house with gifts, but the gifts make a choice never to be opened. You are a gift, and you were meant to be shared with the world. Thanks for listening to this week's message. If you'd like to know more about Gateway Church, please visit our website at www.gatewayscottsdale.tv.